Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning we're live. We have quite a few people out. Some people um, are sick. I don't think they have coronavirus, but they're, they are sick. There's some of the children are sick this morning. Um, we've also encouraged the elderly to stay home. So we're, we're a small crowd this morning, but the Lord is with us, and we're also live streaming this morning. So thank you to Brandon for getting that on. Um, so people that are not, that can't be here can actually be part of the service somehow. Um, let me begin by sharing a story that I read this week. There was a young couple who decided to invite their pastor over for dinner on a Sunday evening after church. While the couple was in the kitchen preparing the meal, their pastor was out in the living room being entertained by their young son. The pastor asked the boy, do you know what we're having for dinner tonight? The boy answered, goat. The startled pastor said to the youngster, goat, are you sure about that? The young boy then said, yes, I'm sure. I heard my daddy tell my mommy, we might as well have that old goat over for dinner tonight. <laughs> I thought it would be uh, good to start us off this morning with a little bit of humor, uh, especially with all that's going on in our world and our society today. Um, there's a lot of fear out there, but we need to be people who bring calmness, peace, and even sometimes laughter into any situation that has fallen upon this world or anything that this world can throw at us. And the reason is to show others that we, as Christians, are not fearful people. Because Christians never have anything to fear even if we live in fearful times. Because we have the Lord with us, always. And Christians should look at any situation in life from an eternal perspective. Knowing that Jesus is still, and always will be, on the throne. Our expectation should be that Jesus will always have this world in His hand. And He does. Even if the world seems to be heading into chaos, the church is the place where stability is found. I want to give our church just a quick update on the situation that's unfolding before we move on to the message this morning. Now you've heard from the governor of our state, I'm sure, that uh, all public and private schools are closed, should be closed, up until April 24th. And that also includes our Sunshine Kids Preschool, which Aaron, our preschool director, made the decision to comply with that order. Um, so we will, unless things change, we will not open until April 24th, the preschool, that is. Now, another part of that executive order by the governor is to restrict all public gatherings of 250 people or more. Obviously, our church does not fit into that category. So I decided that we would go forward and not cancel our Sunday morning services, at least until now, at least for now. If things change, if things change or situations change, um, I may make that decision. But I don't see that happening. But again, the Lord's in control. We'll, 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 we'll tackle that as it comes. So... Um, we'll send out e weekly emails to the congregation, post on Facebook and so forth on what um, 
our next steps are. But for now, we're moving forward. Um, we're going to continue on with services of people, elderly, like I said, um, or, or the vulnerable or the sick. Um, stay home. That's fine. If you're sick anyway, you should probably stay home anyway. You don't want to be kept giving your sickness to anyone. Um, but in the meantime, um, we'll do everything we can to keep this place safe. We're going to we already implemented measures such as disinfecting commonly touched areas. As you saw this morning, we're not doing meet and greet times anymore, or at least for now. Um, we're starting to post online for um, the sermons if, if, the event, if we do have to, you know, close on a Sunday morning. But it's good that we're streaming anyway for people that can't be here. Because uh, we want to give everyone the opportunity to still be part of the service even if it has to be online. Now I want to share a statement that was shared with all our pastors in our district from our district superintendent, and it should be up on the screen. Pastor Wes Smith said this to us concerning the unfolding situation with the coronavirus. He said, remember, it is the history of our tribe to boldly serve those who are fearful living with an unusual peace. What a great time for the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You see, the church is not a building. The church is where every believer is living for Jesus in the world. And we need to be there for each other. We need to be there for others in the world, despite the fear, despite the chaos that might be going on. And we don't need a building to do that. We need to be checking on each other. We need to be checking on the vulnerable, calling people, making sure they're okay, and especially speaking to the unbelievers who are fearful right now. I mean, and again, we need to be the church. We need to be the place where they find peace, where they find stability. Now, since we are, <coughs> excuse me, since we are getting closer to Easter Sunday, I thought it would be a good time for us to begin a new sermon series. Over the next few weeks, we'll, I'll be we'll, leading into Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, we are going to explore the last week of Jesus' life before he went to the cross to die for all humanity. Over the next few weeks, we'll primarily be in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, or starting in Matthew 20, 21 this morning. And between Sundays, I would encourage you to read ahead about this last week of Jesus' life in your private devotion times. Again, starting from Matthew 21, leading all the way to when he went to the cross and rose again three days later. Because Jesus had a lot to say in that last week of his life. I mean a lot to say. In this final week, or last week of Jesus' life, Jesus gave his disciples his final instructions before he was killed on a cross, rose three days later, and ascended back to heaven. This last week of his life, Jesus also spoke to us about the signs that we should be looking for, pointing to his return from heaven, which many believe, including myself, that those signs are all around us today. These signs Jesus told us of and to look for were not meant to bring fear to the believer. They were meant to bring us hope. 
so we can then share that hope with a world that is heading towards destruction. I will have a sermon about those signs that Jesus spoke of in the coming weeks before Easter. If you want to read ahead, that's in Matthew 24. Today's message, though, begins in Matthew 21, and I'm calling this message our expectations of the coming king. Let me ask you, what are your expectations of Jesus? Are your expectations of him in line with God's expectations and his expectations? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now imagine for a moment the crowded streets of any large city in America. I was thinking the other day ago about my daughter-in-law, Jessie. She's not from one of those large cities. Jesse was born and raised in Sheridan, Wyoming, which is a very small town even compared to Spokane. I used to think Spokane was a small town. Sheridan is a small town. When Jesse was first engaged to my son Trevor, she came with our family on a trip to my hometown of Chicago. Now Jesse has visited large cities before, but never one this big. And I'll never forget the look on my daughter-in-law's face when we first arrived in the city. It wasn't a look of fear. It was just a look of confusion on her face. She was in awe of how all those people were moving so fast. There was just a sea of people walking on the streets as if no one else was around them. All those people sort of had this blank stare on their face as they're walking so quickly from one place to another. And then there were all the cars and the taxi cabs on the streets. The people driving all those cars and taxi cabs were continuously honking their horns at other cars and even at other people crossing the streets. And I remember my daughter-in-law asking me, why is everyone honking their horns? And I just told her, because people are in their way. That's how it is in the big city. Everyone's in a hurry. Even people in the city of Spokane don't really understand city living like that. It's crazy. But for a small-town girl like my daughter-in-law, it was nuts. You see, the city of Jerusalem, in the time of Jesus, was very similar to like Chicago or New York, at least for that time period. Now obviously that city of Jerusalem didn't have any cars honking horns at other people, but there were a sea of people on the streets, especially during this last week of Jesus' life. As Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem, it was the start of the Passover celebration. That week the Jewish people were coming from all over the place to be in the city as they celebrated Passover. Now, if you don't know, Passover is a time of remembrance for the Jewish people set by God in the Old Testament. People all over the land would come into that city where the temple of God was located, and they would bring forward a lamb or a dove for the priest in the temple to sacrifice. Now, again, if someone couldn't afford a lamb, they could bring a dove to that. 
This sacrificial ceremony was established by God for the Jewish people to remember how God delivered their ancestors, the Israelites, out of Egypt from slavery. That's in the book of Exodus when God called Moses to go and set God's people free from the hands of Pharaoh. Now, if you know the story, at first Pharaoh resisted Moses, telling Moses that he would never set the Israelites free. So to convince Pharaoh to set his people free, got free God sent ten plagues upon Egypt. And the final plague would be one that would take the life of every firstborn son in Egypt, including Pharaoh's own first son. Well, as that plague was to be sent, God needed to protect his own people, the Israelites. So he instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and then wipe the blood of the lamb on the top of their doorway and on each side of the doorway of their homes. And as the plague came over the city, it would pass over the home that had the blood of the lamb on the doorway. And by the way, a little interesting tidbit. If you read in Exodus and you're paying attention to where God said to wipe that blood on the top and on the sides, it formed a cross. Anyway, after the Israelites were finally set free by Pharaoh, God told Moses to remember the Passover always and to sacrifice a lamb in the temple while they gave thanks and praise to God. That's what's happening in the city that final week of Jesus' life. Passover is one of the most important holidays for the Jewish people, even to this day. Now let's pick up this final last week of Jesus' life on earth, starting in Matthew 21. By now, Jesus is standing with his disciples less than a mile outside the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Up to this point, for the most part, Jesus tried to avoid the large crowds throughout his ministry. Jesus did most of his ministry out in the rural countryside, ministering to the peasants, the fishermen, the farmers, the poor, and the outcasts. Jesus tried to keep a low profile up until now. But now is the time that Jesus is going to announce to the entire population that their king and their promised Messiah has arrived. And don't be mistaken, Jesus understands the hornet's nest that he's about to walk into. The religious Pharisees were already well aware of Jesus by now, but as long as Jesus stayed out in the rural countryside, he wasn't much of a threat to their power over the people. And then you had the Roman political authorities who were also well aware of Jesus. But again, as long as Jesus stayed out in the countryside and didn't stir things up, the Roman authorities weren't so concerned about Jesus. Rome was only concerned about one thing or two things, law and order in their controlled areas. And if anyone threatened that order of Rome, they would be brutally dealt with. The Pharisees ruled over the people with religious control, and Rome ruled over the people through fear. 
And now Jesus is about to stir some things up. Let's start in verse 1 of this chapter 21, going through 3 for now. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the edge or on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now let's stop there for a moment, because it's interesting to me that Jesus already knew that there would be a donkey ahead of him to send his disciples to go get. He knew that donkey would be there. Now Christians today would say, duh, he's God, Jesus is God. And exactly, Jesus is God. And I'll get to the point on why Jesus wanted his disciples to bring back this donkey in a moment. But I think there is an important point that we need to get hold of first. Especially in times of distress that we all face at one time or another in life. You see, Jesus always sees what lies ahead. There are some Bible teachers out there who will say that Jesus was not omnipresent when he was here in the flesh, meaning that Jesus couldn't be in two places at one time while he was walking on this earth. And I understand that. But that does not mean that Jesus wasn't always in control of every situation. For instance, Jesus always knew a person's name before that person even told them or him, their name. He knew of events before they happened, even while he was in the flesh. So anyone who tells you that Jesus is not God, or was never claimed to be God, really has no idea what they're talking about. He's showing people he's God all over the place in Scripture. Jesus was not just a good teacher, or a good man. Jesus was not just a prophet. And he certainly wasn't an angel, as some false religions teach. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. For our life today, we can't obviously see what is ahead of us. We're seeing that in the media today. No one knows what's going to happen with this virus, really. They have predictions, but no one really knows. But Jesus does. He knows exactly what's ahead of us. But even if Jesus hasn't told us every detail, he's told us some things in his word, but even if he hasn't given us every detail of what lies ahead, we can be sure that Jesus sees it all. Nothing catches Jesus by surprise. He knew that donkey would be there ahead. He knew exactly where to send his disciples to go get it. You see, this is why we can always trust Jesus, even if you face the most dire circumstances in your life. Now, when my son died, I know it caught all of us by surprise. But it didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew my son's name before he was even born. He loved my son before he was even born. And that I can tell you that has brought me more comfort of knowing that nothing catches Jesus by surprise 
than anything after my son died. Because I know he's in control. He's on the throne. He's got it all in his hands. And he cares for us. And he loves us. That is what's so awesome about our God. Now going forward, what did Jesus need this donkey for anyway? After all, Jesus seemed to be a pretty fit man. He walked for miles upon miles, ministering to the people throughout the countryside. And now he's less than a mile outside the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus obviously didn't need a donkey to ride into the city on because he was tired of walking. Jesus needed that donkey to declare something. <coughs> to declare to the city who he is. Now turn with me for a moment, if you have your Bibles, I think it should be up on the screen, to Zechariah, the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. God told the prophet Zechariah of a coming king and Messiah, and how the people would recognize that their king and Messiah had come. The prophet wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Most of the Jewish people in, who were in that city of Jerusalem that week would have been well aware of the prophecies written about their coming king and Messiah, especially during the Passover week where people were religiously gathering to sacrifice their lamb or dove. These were mostly people of faith who believed in the word of God. But as the week unfolded, as we will find out throughout this series, their expectations of the coming King and Messiah were very misguided and misunderstood for majority of the people. Now the disciples went ahead, of course, and they got that donkey and brought it back to Jesus. And in verse 7 of chapter 21, it says, They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut the branches from the trees and spread, spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! We sing that song a lot in church. I love that song. Now listen what it says in verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is where you go, Uh-oh. The whole city is stirred. The Roman power structure would not like that very much. The religious power structure would not be very pleased with what's happening. But you know what I find pretty cool about Jesus? He's not afraid of anything or anyone. 
Anyone who thinks that Jesus was some weak, feeble man, again, has no idea what they're talking about. Because look at the first stop right after this. Right after the people are screaming out, Hosanna in the highest, stirring up the entire city. Where does Jesus go first? Well, let's read it. In verse 12 and 13, Jesus entered the temple area. He just didn't enter it. It says he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables on the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer and you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus just walked right into the eye of the storm and he kicked the hornet's nest open. He's not afraid to do it either. Jesus is not just overturning tables. Don't get so caught up in that. Get caught up in this. He's saying, this is my house, people. My house. Again, anyone who tries to tell you that Jesus never said he was God, just point them to this verse, or many verses, but especially this one. Jesus is making it very clear who he says he is. He is Lord. He is God. This system set up by the religious Pharisees were making a mockery of God. The sacrificial system was not instituted by God to take advantage of poor or to increase the powers of the elites of that day who were lining their pockets in the name of God. And all those doves being sold in the temple to the poor were probably not spotless animals that God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice. Jesus is not only angry because of the mockery that these religious power brokers are making of God, but he's also angry because of they are oppressing his people. Now why do I come to that conclusion? Because of what happened next. Those who were there to witness all this both the religious elite and the oppressed, understood exactly why Jesus was so upset. Listen to what it says starting in verse 14. What happened after Jesus just turned over all those money tables? It says, Then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna, son of David! They, being the Pharisees, were indignant. We're going to move forward in this chapter in a minute, but we need to, again, stop here. Because you may be wondering, what does this have to do with me today? Where's Jesus? He's in the temple. And where is the temple of God now? I mean, we should be asking that question if we want to Understand what does this have to do with me? Jesus was obviously very upset about what was going on in his temple. His temple. The religious Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had some expectations about God and his temple that were way out of line with God's expectations. 
What are God's expectations of his temple now, today? Well, the fact is, there isn't a physical temple structure anymore. Jesus foretold later in this final week of his life, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, that the temple of God would be destroyed in one day. Not one stone would be left standing. And historians show and tell us, and the records show us, that in 70 A.D., the Roman Empire completely destroyed the temple, knocking down every single stone. But you see, Jesus wasn't so much concerned about a physical temple building being destroyed by some earthly force because he was always in control. But where is the temple of God now? Let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul shows us where it is. Paul says, talking to Christians, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit lives in you? If Here's the anger part. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Church, listen up. If you don't think God cares about you, you're not paying attention to what he's saying here to the Corinthian church. Better yet, let's go back and look at how Jesus reacted and how upset he was what was going on within that physical temple walls. Jesus said, this is my house. And it will be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. God's house was being used to rob and oppress God's people. Now look around the world today and look at all the persecution of Christians happening in the world. In our prayer group, we read about it every night, every Wednesday night. This world and the enemies of God is trying to rob, oppress, and even kill God's people, His holy temple. You think Jesus was upset about what was going on in the physical temple structure? Just think how upset He is when He sees His children being oppressed by the enemies of God. We, as believers, are His temple. But we have nothing to fear we have Jesus within us. No disease, no wars, no persecutor we should ever fear. We know that Jesus will fight for us and for anyone else who comes into relationship with him as he sets his temple in their heart. He will comfort you. He will protect you. Even if he has to take you home to do it. I don't fear any virus. I mean, we need to be careful. We need to be smart. But I don't fear a virus. Jesus will either heal me or he'll take me home. 
What is your expectations of him? I can tell you from the scriptures what the expectations of the Pharisees were. Their expectation was prove it. Prove who you are. Prove your God, Jesus. Doesn't say it in those specific verses that we just read, but just read further. They were always challenging Jesus to prove it. But Jesus had nothing to prove to them. Because in their pride, they already had their minds made up about him. But not the blind, as we see in these verses. Not the lame. And not the children. Who witnessed what Jesus did that day in the temple. He turned the tables over on their oppressors. In the chaotic moment of what's happening there, and I don't think we can really, there's some movies that depict this. There's other verses that said he ran through with a whip. He was upset overturning those tables. And in that chaotic moment, the blind, the lame, and the children came. And what did they do? Hosanna in the highest. They sang praises to him. And the only thing the Pharisees could say to Jesus in that moment, he says, listen to what they say to him. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, and Jesus said, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained their praise? I posed the question earlier, what are your expectations of Jesus? Do you know what the answer to that question should be? That he is Lord. And he desires nothing more than to, make, to have you make him be Lord of your life. There should be no other expectations. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray in expectation for things, for healing, for whatever. But our number one expectation of Jesus is he's Lord and he's in control. No matter what. Period. End of discussion. The blind, the lame, and even the children that were there that day understood that very clearly. Why? Because they saw God in their presence. And from their lips, especially the lips of the children, it was ordained that their praises were to Him. We've been praying for months for God to bring revival to this church, and I'll be the first to confess, when I was reading these verses, I was convicted. I um, was convicted because I had some expectations on God, on Jesus, on how he was going to bring revival to this church. And I'm ashamed to admit that I've been looking for some great sign of revival in this church, that somehow God was going to reveal his presence and his power among us for some great sign. I didn't share these verses with you yet. Later on in the, um, in the sermon series, I will. But that is what the Pharisees were looking for from Jesus. Show us a sign. Prove to us you are God. And that's what, by the way, most of the people in the city who were just praising his name as he walked, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They're like 
Jesus, show us that you are a Messiah. Overthrow Rome. Overthrow our Roman oppressors. Send angels down from heaven if you have to, to rescue us. Then we will believe you are our Messiah. And Jesus wouldn't give in to their demands for some great sign from heaven. So instead, by the end of the week, instead of screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were now screaming out, crucify him. I had to ask Jesus for forgiveness. This week. I'm not asking him to forgive me for praying for revival. Because Jesus wants to do that. We are his temple. Of course he wants to do that. But what I needed forgiveness for is acting like a Pharisee. Thinking that God had to bring some great sign when all he was looking for is praise, thanksgiving for what he's already done. Do you know who really gets it? Children. Jesus spoke about children all over Scripture. They get it. You tell a child how awesome God is, they immediately say, yeah, I know, he is. You tell a child not to be afraid that Jesus is with them, they usually smile. They don't question. Tell a child how much Jesus loves them, they say, yeah, I know, I know, I love him too. Jesus will revive us when we get serious and get on our knees and worship of him and just praise his name. Jesus will overturn tables in the heart of his temple. He will overturn tables in our hearts. Not because he's angry with us, because he wants to cleanse us. That's what he was doing. He was cleansing that temple. And when he does, we are not to be indignant like the Pharisees were. We are to be like the blind and the lame who Jesus healed that day in the temple. Now, we're out of time this morning, but man, I'm, I think when we go through this final week in this series, it's going to be, I mean, the words, I just was reading through it this week, some of the things that Jesus said and spoke and the instructions he gave blew my mind. And I've read them thousands of times, and I'm like, I can't believe, what? Pay attention to what he's saying. Now I'm going to close this out with prayer. I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to, we are going to keep praying for a revival. But we're going to do it while we do it. We're going to, we're going to sing praises to him as well. Um, let me pray as the worship team comes up and leads up in one last final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenging parts of your word. Jesus, we just praise you. We give you all the praises, Lord. I know, Lord, that you love those Pharisees that were looking down on you. But you had to get pointed with them because they were oppressing your people. 
And Lord, I know there's things in this world that oppress us. There's diseases, there's wars, there's persecution, and of course there is the enemy. But Jesus, you're on the throne. And we give you all the praises. You are always in control. You always see what is ahead. And we can trust you through it all. I pray, Father, that you would be with us this week. Help us to remember the vulnerable. Help us to be there for them. Remind us of what we have to do. I pray that you would take this spirit of fear that is over, hanging over a lot of us and give us your spirit of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and worship with us at this last song? Holy Spirit, pray.